Welcome to Season 4 of Game Design Unboxed on the No Direction Network. Danielle Reynolds talks to tabletop game designers about the games they've made. Together, they unbox how the game went from inspiration to publication. Proudly sponsored by All Play. If you're looking for a board game table, bag, playmat, or great board games, check them out at letsallplay.com. Thank you for joining me, Danielle, for Game Design Unbox, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 80, Misconceptions. Today we are joined by George Lee, the designer of Misconceptions, as well as a co-founder of Ravel. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. I'm so excited to be here and talk about my experience. Well then, let's start out with that. Your experience, how did you get into designing board games? Quite a few years back, I was living in a tiny New York apartment with my roommate and now co-founder, Jake. And basically, Jake was telling me about this game that he played with his family as a kid he, that he loved growing up. We started playing it, and we had so much fun. We kept kind of playing it and playing it again, and ended up actually making up our own rules for the game. We later found out that the game was actually very popular. It's a game called like Fishbowl, Salad Bowl. Like, like a lot of people have played this game before, but we thought we were like the first. So that's how we kind of got started. We created the game called Rabble. We launched it on Kickstarter, did a small campaign, which was pretty successful. Then we sold out a couple of times with Rabble, and we're like, oh, maybe there's something here. We're having a good time designing games. So we started designing more games, and that's kind of how our company got started and grew to where we are today. So who is a part of your company? Yeah, so right now we have, it's me and two other co-founders. So I handle the game design slash kind of business side of things. My main co-founder, Jake, does a lot of the artwork and the art direction for our games. And then we have a third co-founder, Polo. She does a lot of the outreach partnerships and some of the copywriting for our games. I noticed on your website, it says that your company is founded by, you have it marked as by women. And also you had one other marking on there. What was it? AAPPI? Asian American Pacific Islander, correct? Yes. So obviously, uh, Pulvi, she slash her, like, you know, she's a woman. And then both me and her are both uh, Asian American. I'm East Asian and she's Indian American. So I think something that's really important for us when we think about our games, um, when we design them, is to try and make them as inclusive as possible because we really want to bring more people, no matter what your background is, into the space. That's such a nice thing for people to think about. How did you apply that to your game, Misconceptions? When we design our games, I think we our philosophy is very much like we want to make games that are fun, but then fun for everyone, so they never make anyone uncomfortable, right? I think for Misconceptions, it was a partnership with Bud Light Seltzer. There definitely could have been like you know some sort of drinking element we wanted to it, right? And we kind of briefly considered it for a second, but we quickly shot it down because we know that you know not everyone drinks, not everyone wants to be forced to drink in any sort of games, right? So as a rule, we tend to avoid anything that has any like explicit drinking rules to it because even though some people might find that really fun there are a lot of people who might not find that fun so we want to we kind of keep that in mind and how did you end up designing a game with bud light seltzer as a partner yeah so that's actually a really funny story for a, a couple of reasons Basically, in middle of February of this year in 2023, I got an email from this agency, I think Bully uh, Seltzer's agency at the time, but we didn't know, know it was them. And they reached out saying like, hey, we have a beverage brand that we're representing and we would love to partner with you to design the game. I like, had no idea, you know, I didn't really know what to expect going into the call and they basically kind of follow up with, like when I met with the agency representative, they said like, hey, we love your brand and we want to partner with you on the game. And the partner is 
but like Seltzer because they're releasing this new campaign around misconceptions. They want to create a game around the fact that, you know, a lot of people think that Bud Light Seltzer has beer in it. It doesn't. So they want to create a game to kind of debunk misconceptions and help educate people that, you know, the fact that Bud Light Seltzer has beer in it is also a misconception. So they have reached us. What makes this story super interesting is that I actually used to work at Anheuser-Busch, which is kind of the parent company of Bud Light Seltzer and a lot of these brands. It's a massive company, so I was on a completely different team. But when I told them that I was actually at, I used to work at AB, they thought it was hilarious because they actually had no idea. You know, this was completely out of the blue. It wasn't because someone referred them to me. It was just a complete coincidence that I actually used to work at the company that ended up approaching us. So how did they find you all? I actually don't know the exact specifics, but what they told me is that like one of someone on their, like they got a brief from Bud Light Seltzer that they wanted to make a game. So obviously they had their team reach out and like start exploring different game designers and game companies. And they, someone, I guess on their team has played some of our games before and really liked our company. And then also really liked our brand, which I think makes our, uh, some of our games unique because we have sort of a distinctive brand. And like I said, we try to be inclusive. We try to be conscious about how we design our games. So because they were really drawn to our brand, they reached out saying like, you know, they think, thought we could be a really good fit. I, I don't know the exact specifics other than, I guess they just said that someone on their junior account team knew about us and recommended us for this project. And on your guys' side, what was the thought process when you had that call, got all the information? Was it an obvious yes, or did you have to discuss it? What was going through your minds when you had a good meeting with Bud Light Seltzer? I think we were the first really excited for the opportunity. Obviously, the fact, even if we thought that we wouldn't actually end up doing the project, the fact that like our name or our brand is kind of getting out there, companies approaching us was super exciting. So I think one, we were really excited in general for the opportunity. I would say it was a likely yes, but it was not an obvious yes, because what really quickly became apparent as we were chatting more about this project is that they wanted it to be a super, super tight turnaround in terms of timing. So we met with our kickoff meeting with the PR team for Bud Light Seltzer was beginning like second week of February, and they were telling us that they needed the games ready by the end of March. Obviously, this wasn't just like, hey, we need the idea for the game by the end of March. We need the games like produced by the end of March. We ended up getting a little bit more wiggle room, like an extra week or two, but that's a, a crazy timeline for you know any sort of game, especially since most of our games are, like most board games are made overseas. So there's a huge timeline with in terms of getting the shipments and all like crossing the ocean, all of that things. So that was kind of the one hang up that we gave us some pause. But then what we're, we were able to do is that like, we, we like to say, like try to make things happen. So we were like, okay, assuming we could, you know, design a game that quickly. Is there a world where we could actually manufacture a game that quickly? And then we had some contacts that we've been previously talking about to do like limited edition like runs of our games. We're like, this could be a really cool opportunity to test that. So we chatted with them, had extensive conversations very quickly, and they said that they could actually deliver on the timeline. So we said yes to the project because we're like, oh, we feel like we could actually make this happen. Was there going to be any penalties if you didn't execute on that contract? I don't know if there was a penalty so much as like that was just the, the kind of the timeline for us saying yes. Like if we don't, we have like break the agreement if we can release a game at a certain timeline because that was the timing that they want, like the Bud Light Seltzer team wanted to be able to announce the game and do their kind of full PR push 
along with um, their full campaign. So like this was one component of their broader campaign. They also released like a commercial that was like not necessarily related to our game, but also just about the whole misconceptions campaign. So our uh, the game that we were partnering on was like one part of the puzzle. So I think we would just be delayed on the the push, and they weren't going to adjust their timeline since this is like this was their campaign that they've been planning for months. So it was meant either us not delivering on what we promised, which is obviously not a good look, but it also meant that we would be missing out on some of the like the PR benefits of having our game included in the overall message that they were releasing. Was the game sold through your website or was it sold through their site? So we basically kind of, the agreement we ended up agreeing to is that it would have been sold through, they have a kind of website for all of their merch called Shop Beer Gear. So they did a limited edition but kind of like pre-order system through the website and then primarily fulfilled it through their website. We actually just them, sent them the inventory. But then we also released, uh, reserved some copies for ourselves that we could bring not through our website, but through like conventions. So we sold some through like Gen Con or PAX, uh, PAX Unplugged a couple of weeks ago. We had like a super limited number of copies. So we were able to sell through kind of our remaining inventory that way. Interesting. How does the game actually play for anyone who hasn't played? So it's a really interesting game where it's kind of like a trivia game in a certain way, but some of the trivia is actually false. So on the front of each card, there's a, a statement, right? For example, dogs are colorblind for, or fully colorblind or can only see black and white. That could be the statement. And on the back, it either says it's a fact or it says it's a misconception. So the way the game is played is that you're, you split into people into two teams. Each team is dealt six cards with a, the statement facing up. And each team can kind of see are allowed to look at the back of their cards and see whether the statements are true or misconceptions, but they're not allowed to show the other team. So each team knows which of their six are true and which of these statements are misconceptions. Then there are some cards dealt in the middle from the deck that nobody knows the answer to. So like four cards are dealt into the middle of the deck for the first round. Each team then adds one of their cards into the middle of the cards in the middle. So there's six cards now in the middle. One team then starts kind of like a, almost like a bidding process where they say like, hey, I think there are four misconceptions in the middle of the, the cards or three misconceptions in the middle. And the other team can either go higher or lower than that number. And depending on which team gets it right, they score points. And you can repeat this for a couple of different rounds and whichever team has the most points at the end wins the game. And what happens if, say, uh, my team says three, your team says four, but it's actually two? Does it go like for the lower group or just no one gets points? unless you hit the target? That's a good question. So one team basically says a number to start and the other team says higher or lower. So the second team would not say like four, they would say like lower if they thought it was two or one or higher if it's if I was four or five or six. So in this way, all, one team always gets it right because one team is, um, one's basically, one team is basically taking the over or the under versus the other team's guess. All right. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And it seems like that's pretty approachable for most players. Yeah, I think that was definitely an intention. So we had several meetings with the Bud Light Seltzer team throughout this process to align on the gameplay, align on the name, align on the packaging, align on the rules, and then also making sure that their branding, since they were essentially paying for the games and paying for this project came through, but then also we got kind of our callouts and our reference as well, right? And I think very early on, one of the key messages when we were chatting with them about like what they wanted with the game is that they definitely wanted it to be a super approachable game that anyone can pick up. So we kind of went into the game design process knowing and thinking like, what is a game that like not only is it very easy to play, but can also accommodate a large number of people, right? 
we had another version of the game which was a little bit more individual where everybody played individually but we quite quickly scrapped that because it got a little unwieldy with larger numbers of people splitting into two teams made it much easier for people to jump in and out and also to kind of keep everybody engaged and involved with the game did you have any other designs that you considered besides the gameplay that ended up getting printed so I think the initial version was sort of similar, where the idea was that each person would play individually. Each person would be dealt a certain number of cards, and each person would be putting a card that they know in the middle, right? And then everybody would be trying to guess how many cards are in the middle, and points would be scored that way. I think it was a really good idea for a game, and there was actually a little bit more strategy because there was more like, you know, your guess was based off of like what other people have guessed before you, so there's a little bit more, more rules in, to it. But we actually removed the did decide not to go in that direction, even though it was a game made from a maybe a pure game design standpoint and maybe felt more strategic and more in-depth. But from what Bullet Seltzer was kind of looking for with their specific game, which is making it as approachable and easy to understand as possible, it just added extra layers that we felt like didn't necessarily need for the core idea, which is really just trying to figure out which statements are true and which statements are false. So that's kind of one direction we we tested, we liked, but we ended up not going because we were also working with a client in this case. Yeah, and they get the ultimate choice and decision on what happens, so. Yes. That makes sense, though, for what they were looking to do and the branding, I'm guessing. They probably showed this off at, like, different events that they might have been hosting and wanted it to be very easy to teach and mostly idiot-proof or when you drink too much proof. No, I think that's exactly it. And I think a big part of how the game was used was sending it to all of their Bud Light Seltzer influencers, which is they have a ton of ambassadors and influencers. And while those individuals like love Bud Light Seltzer and may play games, they probably don't, a lot of them don't play a lot of board games, right? So as a result, having it be as easy to understand as possible was really for also for their benefit so that they could then explain it to their followers, which was the kind of goal of amplifying the message. Sure. And then for the end game, did you consider like different routes on how to end the game? Was it a specific amount of numbers of cards or points or how did that all work out? How the game works is it's three rounds. I think we ended up going with three rounds or maybe five rounds, but we have like double. I almost, uh, I almost forgot. What we did is that for the final round, we made it worth double points and then also gave each team the option to play more cards from their pile into the middle of the deck. So I think that made, made raised the stakes a little bit more. And then also made it feel like there's always a chance for one team to come back, even if they didn't do so well on the first two rounds. As far as the timeline, how long in total did it actually take for the design to go from the inspiration to the publication? Yeah, uh, it was it was, it was crazy. So I think in this case, I would say publication is, in my mind, when we actually like complete the games and we ship the games out to Bud Light Seltzer. It's kind of the publication date. So we got briefed beginning of February, but I was like actually checking my notes a minute ago. We probably didn't actually start the kickoff call with the team until like middle of February because they the agency needed some time to confirm the budget with the like, our team, confirm that the project was actually happening, right? And then we basically from end to end, we started design process in mid-February, like fully started, right? And then we actually produced the games basically by beginning of uh April, let's say when they were fully complete. So all in, it was maybe like a month, a month and a half that we basically from kind of complete start to finish. So it was a huge rush during that time period um, to basically basically make these games come through. I, I'm just super impressed by that. 
Especially because aren't most of your games sustainable? Like, don't you use different kinds of materials versus like what normal, I shouldn't say normal, but the average company uses? Yes. This one we didn't, we unfortunately did not get to put our tag on it because we were not able to, because of the lead time, we actually had to make some um, kind of trade-offs with it. While we were able to basically still stick to just paper, which is definitely our preference when it comes to games, like paper or wood, um, we weren't able to use kind of the FSC eco-friendly paper we kind of default to using. And that's also in part because we ended up actually using a domestic manufacturer and not only a domestic manufacturer, but like a domestic manufacturer who actually doesn't normally, don't normally make board games. So it was kind of like we were sort of limited based off like what paper they had readily available and that they were able and willing to kind of print on on such short notice. That makes a lot more sense. I was trying to figure out how you did it in that time period. <laughs> okay. So they were domestic. They were domestic and they were also, um, it's not like even a board game manufacturer. They actually are specialized in kind of what they're known for is rush packaging is what they're kind of like their bread and butter. But I've chatted with them before about maybe doing like prototypes. And what we kind of, kind of real, uh, realized is that like for them, right, at the end of the day, packaging versus other products, right? A board game, a card game in particular, is just cardboard and paper, right? So if they can make other paper products, in theory, they can make a card game because all they need is be, be able to make packaging and then print out cards. So we use them for this specific project because the timing was so tight because they were also based in New Jersey. So I was actually able to like visit their warehouse right and like talk to them about how this game is going to look kind of align on the final specifics but definitely not like our normal supplier when it comes to games and definitely not our normal process when it comes to like sourcing materials why does your company choose to go the more eco-friendly route if you don't mind me asking i think for us it's just like i don't know if there's like a reason other than it just feels like the the right thing to do i think that's just really it i think for me jake polvey while, you know, I guess we, we want to take care, we take care in how we think about our products and we want games that basically not only last and feel good on your bookshelf, but also feel like they're doing a positive benefit to the world, right? And part of that comes through, obviously, the experiences that people have by playing a game and really hoping that people are creating positive memories playing our games and connecting with the people around them, which is kind of the whole purpose behind our company. But the other thing is like the games themselves, we want them to feel like it's a pot and that positive for the world, right? And while, you know, we can't do everything exactly the way we want to, right, because of, you know, cost implications or other limitations, being able to use eco-friendly paper, like, it's definitely a, a cost increase, but it wasn't enough that, like, it, it felt like it made sense for what we were trying to do. So I think the big things we try to kind of prioritize is, one, using eco-friendly paper if we can't say fsc on the label because that costs money but it's all fsc certified paper and the other thing we do is we try to avoid plastic so we try to avoid plastic pieces unless it's super critical and then we also tend not to like to shrink wrap our games just to kind of minimize plastic that way as well no i think every little bit helps a lot of companies are starting to move that direction so it's cool to see like a smaller company doing that as well do you guys have anything else that you try to aim to do as far as like kind of company values? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that we try to do. Um, one is obviously the eco-friendly portion that like we don't necessarily, it's not necessarily like we are making games, you know, I'm sure we could do more, but it's something that we are proud of, like, of taking steps in the right direction. I think the other piece we do is try to do from the inclusivity piece, aside from you know, putting some thought behind the design of our games, right? When it makes sense, we also try to work with either underrepresented artists 
or people from diverse backgrounds to kind of partner with us. Our first game, Rabble, for example, we partnered with a lot of diverse and female artists to actually illustrate the cards in our games. So a lot of our cards feel like kind of like a mini portrait or a mini piece of artwork. And they also have the artist's name on the bottom of the card because we wanted to showcase their artwork. And so some of them have their name, some of them have their Instagram handles, but we wanted to just kind of give some more exposure to these artists. Besides that, I know this game was something that was designed as a really quick like printing. Was it just a one-time print for this one particular marketing campaign? And then you just got to like sell out of the remaining copies at conventions or is there plans for reprints? How did that all work out as far as your contract went? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think we're kind of thinking about that right now. I don't know if it's like the top, top priority, but we made this game. It was super quick. And while it's definitely a fun game, you know, we had pretty low expectations for it, to be honest, right? Because it was also it was part of a branded campaign. We've actually been bringing it to some of these conventions like Gen Con and PAX Unplugged, and the game has been much more popular than we thought. You know, people like figuring out, it's like a very easy get, which I think really helps. And then people really like figuring out like whether some of these statements are, these common statements are true or false, right? Because they are all these urban legends that we are familiar with, but we've never known whether, you know, we, we think about, but we don't know if they're actually true or not. So we have talked internally about like maybe not, you know, copying the game exactly. We would probably want to put more thought behind it now that we have some more time, but potentially doing a game that has a similar idea and using misconceptions, kind of like the nut and bolts of it for a future game. So it's definitely not out of the question for either doing a reprint or creating a similar game to it. That's great to hear that it was doing well enough, especially when you bring it to conventions where it's competing against like Gloomhaven. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's like definitely surprising for us too. Because I think like what's what I've kind of learned is that like there's a gamer for every type of game out there. So someone who likes Gloomhaven, you know, during some like, you know, they're just at a bar where they're just having some friends who are not necessarily heavy gamers coming over and they want a quick game to bust out, like misconceptions could be a great fit too, right? Yeah. So I think it's def- it's been a positive surprise how positive the reception has been. It's amazing. As far as the design itself and the journey of it, and it can be from, let's aim for more like the design perspective, what was your favorite and least favorite part of the experience? I think the fun part of the experience was that there's, you know, it's, it definitely was a little bit, of a, there's a lot of stress and we were meeting like two or three times a week with like the agency and the ballet team to kind of make this happen because everybody knew it was such a tight timeline. But I think there is something fun about having one big project on hand and like just kind of hunkering down and working with your team to make it happen, right? And being able to like just kind of move fast and kind of break things and like bring something so quick to life. There's definitely some pride and like just the fun of like the thrill of doing that. So I think that was like definitely a positive part of the project. I think the part that was maybe a little bit of a slog such it took some uh, <laughs> took a little bit of time was actually writing some of the questions or some of these statements themselves and fact checking every single one to make sure that like we were actually like when we were calling it a fact or misconception, we were correct in saying that it was a fact or misconception. And then we also had to route our entire list of like trivia through the AB legal team multiple times, right? Because they also are on the hook for anything that is actually like inaccurate or like they didn't want us to use any like flubbery names or there were certain restrictions there, right? So we had to go through that process a couple of different times where we would submit like a list of trivia, like you know, 10, 20% of them would like get axed by their, the legal team. And then we have to come back with like replaced questions, right? So that took a couple couple back and forth moments. And that was kind of maybe my least favorite part, just because it slowed down the process a little bit. Yeah, I would imagine that was probably the bulk of the work. Yeah, no, I think that definitely it was took a, a couple long nights uh, coming up with all, all these questions. But 
at least I, you know, I, it's like fun at the time too, when you're trying to learn these things, uh, learn a lot of things that you thought were true. Uh, I thought were true, but actually turned out to be completely false. And was playtesting mostly internal or did you have friends? How did you go about playtesting the game in its different iterations? All of the above. In that case, we had a couple of friends that we kind of playtested the initial versions with. And then what's nice about living in New York, and this is how I playtest a lot of our other games, is there are a lot of like big board game meetup groups, which I have over the years established like connections with. After I had like the version alpha, like the alpha version done of the game, I would bring the game to some bars and restaurants for like a week or two, right? For a week and try to bring out it to as many meetups as I can and just have people play it, right? And see if it made sense, see if there were any major issues. Because the game was so simple, it wasn't, I wasn't super as worried about could this play or could this not play. I was more worried about like, okay, what is the best way to explain the rules so that people get it instantaneously, right? Where are certain cards that may or may not have confusing like copy on it, right? Like, so some of that information was really useful for our later playtesting. And then as far as like, if you were to give someone advice on how to design a game in this kind of timeline, what advice would you give to a designer? That's a good question. I think that in this case, I, the, I think the, the best advice, which I think also the hardest advice is that you are trying to balance your experience and your knowledge as a game designer in terms of like, what is, what works, what's fun, what can get people talking and laughing, Right with also like the brief and the needs of the client, right? I think it's a big piece. And like knowing when to take feedback from the client in this case, but like Seltzer, um, while also like being able to like convey your expertise when like something they said maybe didn't make sense. So to give you an example of that, one of the big asks in the beginning of the game that was brought up a couple of times was that Bullet like Seltzer really wanted to put the fact that like, oh, Bullet like Seltzer does not have beer in it as one of the cards. We kind of tried doing that. We like playtested it a couple of times, but it just felt very forced, very, very obvious. And then also didn't really make sense in the context of the game because when we explained uh, where the idea of the game came from, right, that was part of the story already, right? We would have to tell people like, hey, we created this game to help debunk the myth that Bullet Seltzer has beer in it. So then having it show up on a card felt like it was like a kind of a gimme card. So that was something where we were able to kind of push back on and like, I guess, win, because there's no card that has that, um, because we were able to bring our playtesting experience and bring the data from our experience to that, right? But in other moments, right, where we had a couple of different iterations of the game, we were like, hey, here's two options for the game. You tell us which option you want to go. Option A is more complicated, but maybe a little bit more fun for people who like more strategic games. Option B is easier to pick up, but is more like, you know, just more basic game, right? And they ultimately went with option B, which is where we ended up. So that's an, an example of where we kind of defer to the client. So I think that's kind of the biggest skill is knowing when to like be like, take a firm stance and when to basically listen to the feedback and, you know, kind of compromise. I think that's great advice and also a good story because it's so true that when you're working with like an IP and a client, it really is going back and forth because they don't know everything about what you're doing, but you don't know everything about their brand. So that's great that you were able to go back and forth. And you definitely were correct that putting that card in that game would have been a very obvious give me. Yes, exactly. And I think it just felt a little also, other than the fact that it's a give me, it felt like it was too forced. I don't know. Like it felt like, why is the card in there? We were already kind of like, communicating that the inspiration for the game on the back of the box, on the rules, all that, so many places already, having another moment to just reinforce it felt a little bit like overkill. Totally agree. 
And then do you have any projects coming up in the future that fans should be looking out for from your company or just you as a designer? Yes, yes. So we have a, we have kind of two games I'm super, super excited for. The first one that is um, coming up real, real soon is we're launching a Kickstarter for a game called Love Struck. It's a social deduction game inspired by reality dating shows. So the premise is that, you know, everybody plays as a contestant on a you know reality TV show. Everybody claims that they're on the show looking for love. But in actuality, a couple of contestants are here for the wrong reasons and are just trying to get famous. So the goal of the show is basically you go on dates, you spend time at the villa together, and you're trying to figure out who is who. And at the end of the game, you know, you kind of both reveal like your what we call your intention card that tells you why you're here. And it's like a big reveal at the end to see if you won or lost. So that's like a game we're really excited for. We've been working on it, you know, for this past year, and we're planning on launching on Kickstarter beginning of February. And the other game that we have that's probably a little bit farther down the pipeline for next year is that we're actually working with a therapist to make a game about managing stress. The working name slash potentially final name is called Calm, but it's kind of like a narrative, like choose your own adventure sort of game where you learn about stress as you're going through the story um, every single day. You have some very interesting people that reach out to you to make games. Yes. I think the, the game about stress, we were actually, we reached out to them. I think it's an idea that we've been kind of bouncing around for a while. And we're like, it just seems like it's like in our, you know, maybe not directly in our space, but it feels like something that we would love to tackle. And we happened to meet someone at PAX East, who was a therapist who also fell in love with our games. She's been great. And so we've been working with, with her ever since. Wow. I honestly, for you then, I would recommend going to the Save Against Fear convention. It's a board game convention that's also like partially a conference that talks about like how games can be used in like therapeutic settings and like school settings and stuff like that. I learned and met a bunch of really cool people. So if you're looking to play test, you maybe want to check that out uh, next year. It was in November of this year. So yes, absolutely. Cool. No, I mean, both games sound interesting, especially because I have a ton of friends that are obsessed with like every variation of The Bachelor and Bachelorette. So having a social deduction game with that theme, I feel like could do really well. Thank you. Yeah, that's, hopefully that, that's the hope. We're actually shooting our kind of trailer for it right now. We're basically not to reveal too much. We're basically trying to make it feel like a trailer for a reality TV show. So I'm excited to see how it goes. You know, no matter how, how it goes, I'm really proud of like where we kind of landed, ended up with this game. So I'm excited for it. I'm excited to see it in February then. Also feels appropriate for like Valentine's Day month. Yes, yes. I think that's like kind of like a happy accident that we're like, we were actually going to launch at the end of this year, but it ended up being too late slash people were telling us that uh, December is the worst month to launch a Kickstarter. So we moved it to February and then Valentine's Day feels like a perfect time. So I totally agree. I would agree. Everyone in December is spending money on Christmas presents mostly, and they don't really tend to have exposable income for Kickstarters. Unless they like back something and then print it out and give it as a gift. Because I've definitely gotten that as a gift before, which I don't hate actually, but hard for people to get behind. Yes, yes. No, that's exactly. I think that's basically our takeaway as well. For my last question of the episode, if you could have been the designer of any board game that you didn't make, what would it be? So I think this is a really hard one because I have a couple that in my, in my mind I really, really like. I would say the game that I'm really envious of is a game called Pit. It's kind of a classic game where you basically pretend like you're a Wall Street uh, trader. It's kind of like, like a fast-paced version of Goldfish to a certain extent. And I tend to really like games that are very simple and elegant. And I think Pit is one of those games where like I it takes 30 seconds to explain. And then people have so much fun playing it. And it, that's like a super great experience. And the other piece of it is that it makes you really feel like you're on the stock like trading floor making these deals. So I've never seen a game like with 
do so much with so little rules to kind of simulate that experience. So I'm very envious of that game because I'm like, it's just, I feel like it's such a brilliant concept. No, it's a really good game. It's one of those ones that a lot of designers now have emulated and made like their own variations on it. Because I believe at this point, it's either open source or just people treat it like that since you can't really copyright mechanics. It's a good game. Yes, definitely. Thanks for everybody who's been listening to this episode and joining us for Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 80, Misconceptions. And thanks again, George, for being on the show. For anyone trying to find you online or your company, where can you be reached? Our website is www.rabblegame.com, so no S. And then also on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, we're also at Rabble Game. Perfect. And then if anyone's trying to find me, Danielle Reynolds, you can find me on social media under Token Gamer, and that's G-A-Y-M-E-R. And that's for like Twitter, Blue Sky, Instagram, whatever. (laughs) But definitely check us out. And thanks again, George, for being on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining Danielle for another episode of Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication. If you'd like to hear more great gaming podcasts, check out nodirectionpodcast.com. And if you're looking for a great board game, bag, playbat, or gaming table, check out All Play at letsallplay.com. Join us next time.